Some governmental officials are better than others. Is that a fair statement? We're we're very alert right now to the idea of, of leadership when it comes to countries and even at the lower levels. Uh, and, you know, when we, we hear, especially in our country, of someone that will profess their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in an open way, uh, there's something inside of us that says, hmm, maybe there's hope here, uh, you know. And that doesn't mean that just because someone is a Christian that that automatically makes them a good leader. There's, there's a lot of other things that, that go into being able to, to govern well. But I would say that uh, the Word of God gives direction that the individual who is in that role of serving the public in that way, and of course in other countries it's not necessarily considered a service. You can go to Venezuela and you've got a, a cruel dictator down there, for instance, and other countries that are unfortunately very similar, uh, communistic rule and uh, Marxism is rampant. Uh, sometimes socialistic governments uh, are, are filled with uh, some, some people in leadership that are lining their own pockets, even though they say that they're there for the benefit of the common good of the citizenship of people. And so I find myself listening to what's going on in current events and looking at the Bible and saying, Lord, you know, what... What would please you in a leader? What, what would be, I know you can use anybody. I know you can usurp and use anyone, no matter how profane they are, no matter how wicked they are. Uh, they still really are a pawn in your hand. But uh, what is it that we, perhaps, as believers, should be praying for that you would raise up in the regard of leadership when it comes to uh, governmental officials. And reading in my quiet time, I came to Psalm 21, and the Lord just kind of spoke to my heart, and I just want to share some thoughts tonight with you about uh, leaders that the, the Lord God would, would praise, leaders that the Lord would laud, uh, and the things that are given to us in this text are things that really ought to be true of every believer. Some of these things are things that God wants true of each and every follower of Jesus Christ. But in some respects, we're, we're all leaders in some capacity. Uh, we're, we're leaders in families. We're leaders in the community. Uh, and so, therefore... Some of this applies to all of us, but again, it starts off here with reference to a term, a title, that we know this is talking about governmental leadership because it speaks about the king. And even though we don't have a king in the United States of America, and a lot of countries don't, I think the principles here are just the idea of the leader, the governmental leader, whoever that might be. So I want to read the first four verses here of Psalm 21. It says, The king shall joy in thy strength, O Lord, and in thy salvation how greatly shall he rejoice. 
Thou hast given him his heart's desire and hast not withholden the request of his lips. For thou preventest him with the blessings of goodness. Thou settest a crown of pure gold on his head. He asked life of thee, and thou gavest it him, even length of days forever and ever. You know, just in the Bible itself, we have chronicled many different kings, don't we? The very, uh, you know, if we go back and talk about the first kings, they would be the pagan kings, the Canaanite kings, and they're all very bad examples. When you come to Israel, they had judges who were leaders, and even those, uh, you have kind of a mixed bag, don't you? Some of those judges were a little bit better than others. And then there did finally come the monarchy, really at the pushing of the people. Uh, their motivation was not God-honoring. Their motivation was, you know, not, Lord, give us a king so that we can more efficiently bring glory to you. No, their reason was, give us a king so we can be like everybody else. And we don't want we, we to stand out in a bad way. We want to fit in with the pagan countries. Not a good motivation. And, of course, Samuel was upset. He was the judge, the prophet at that time. And uh, God told Samuel, you know, don't take it personal. They're not really rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Uh, they're not accepting the leadership structure that I have set up. So it really all comes back to me, Samuel. Well, we know the story of the first king, right? They, they, they picked the first king, you know. The Lord picked him, but picked it according to the desires of the people. He was handsome. He was tall. You know, he, he seemed to have be the whole package. But he was not what they wanted. They, they got what they wanted, but ultimately it, it wasn't what they needed. And so the next go around, we know that the, the pick was a man after God's own heart. What a difference that made in Israel. Now, he had his own flaws. We know of his great sin with Bathsheba, his sin of numbering the people in disobedience. And yet, there was a basic passion that David had. And I think he understood what he was talking about. Uh, he wasn't holding himself up as, hey, I'm the poster child of what's being talked about here in Psalm 21, although he is writing this. But I think he is talking from personal experience of what he has been able to enjoy as a king who seeks the approval of God, seeks to please the Lord in his life. And we need to see tonight what happens when a leader truly in their personal life lauds the Lord. In other words, they, they're, they're, they're given the glory to God, like we should, like they should. One thing I see is that God reveals the correct condition of such a leader. That's what verse 1 is all about. It's kind of like this is the prize. This is what you get. There is an appreciating of assistance that takes place, first of all. Now, in the flesh, and, and we all know we have flesh, we, we have our human nature. Even as saved people that are born again, we know from the book of Romans that, Romans 7, for instance, that we still struggle with the flesh that we have. So, leaders, 
no matter how much you might admire them, never forget that they're human. Never forget that they're sinners. Never forget that they have a flesh just like you and I have flesh. And as such, one of the things that we all struggle with in our, our own unique way is the problem of pride. Not always as just flamboyant as out-and-out arrogance, people being braggadocious. It could just be simply self-sufficiency. It's kind of a quiet pride, but nonetheless, still a very cancerous pride to the soul. And a leader might hesitate to reach out for help, reach out for assistance from someone else. It could be because they're interested in self-glory. In other words, I want people to know that I'm a great king. I want them to know that I'm a great leader. I want them to know that I came up with this idea. I, you know, I wanted to have my name on the legislation. This could be all uh, under the surface of what's going on. But then there are some who will welcome an alliance with other people. And these are wise leaders that realize that they don't have to, nor should they have to, try to do it all in their own strength. And it's truly the wise leader that looks to God above for that assistance. We might remember the, the arrogance of the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel revealed to him, Daniel, of course, was carried into captivity. And talk about providence. You know, Daniel could have been bemoaning the fact, oh, we got taken away from our homeland and pulled into this foreign country and so forth. But God had him there for just such an occasion. He became a spokesperson for Jehovah God in this very pagan uh, society. And even to the very king, he had the king's ear. And so Daniel revealed in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 22 that as he's talking to King Nebuchadnezzar, think about how bold he is, and he says this, that thou art grown and become strong, for thy greatness is grown and reacheth unto the heavens and thy dominion to the end of the earth. Now what he's doing here is it's in the context of a dream Nebuchadnezzar had about this giant tree that gets cut down, and Daniel's basically saying, well, the symbolism is you're like that tree. You grew big and tall and reached to the, you know, and that's the way your empire has been, and that's how you have been. But it is the mark of a wise and humble leader who is glad to receive strength from the Lord. And that same monarch, Nebuchadnezzar, you might remember in that same chapter, later changes his view. He's now not arrogant. He's not as boastful. Why? God took him down a few notches. He, he sent him out to pasture, literally. He began to think that he was like a, a wild beast, and he was grazing in the fields, and his hair grew long, and his nails grew long, and you know it was quite the sight. There was sort of a madness that came upon him. But eventually the Lord lifted that from him. And the end of Daniel chapter 4, this is what Nebuchadnezzar now says. He says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. He came to that humble place where he realized, you know what? I need God's help. 
I can't be this kind of king that says, look at what all I've accomplished on my own. Well, truth is, he never would have gotten Israel to succumb to his power if God hadn't given Israel to him at that point. I mean, he, he walks away and says, hmm, look what we've done. We've got all the gold and silver trinkets from, from you know, Solomon's temple. No, God was chastening his children and using Nebuchadnezzar as an instrument and all that. And so, while that's all true, and whether he knows it or not doesn't change what God is doing, what a blessed place it was that Nebuchadnezzar came to finally when he could appreciate God's divine assistance in his life, when he recognized it. Isn't that what we need to see in our leaders? Ones that are humble enough to say, you know what, I have to look to God for my guidance. Truth of the matter is, whether they get up and pray in the morning to God, God's still guiding them just against their will, just unbeknownst to them. But what a joy in their heart, what praise is given to God if they do it in a submissive, cooperative way. And so God reveals the correct condition of a leader. He needs to openly appreciate God's assistance. But then I want you to notice, secondly, God's goodness on the leader with right longings. God is able to give right longings to this kind of leader. And this is verses 2 through 4 that we just read here. And I want you to notice in verse 2 that it talks about how God had given him his heart's desire, and this is the idea of something that he had requested with his lips. So this leader is, is saying, God, will you do this? And then again in verse 4, you have the same thing. He asked life. And so here is a longing of the leader. Now, human beings don't automatically long for the right things. You and I, even as believers that know Christ as our Savior, sometimes find ourselves struggling with longing for the wrong things, don't we? But yet, what we see here, as we do in other places in the Bible, that God has a way of matching a person's wants with reality. And that's really where a leader needs to be. God, raise up a leader where his wants will really match with reality. That's what's meant by these heart's desires. Now, it's often debated when it talks about God giving, hearts, uh, giving him his heart's desires. Is this God looking at his heart and saying, this is what his heart wants, so therefore I'm going to give it to him? Or is this God literally implanting the right kind of desire into the heart, literally giving him the desire into his heart. And I would suggest to you, when you understand what's going on here, both are really true. Surely God does not give us those things that would harm us, even if we were to ask ignorantly for them. Remember what Jesus says to the Pharisees when he's talking about their misguided concept of the Heavenly Father? He says, how many of you, being earthly fathers, know how to give your children what kind of gifts? Good gifts. And he gives examples. You know, if, you're, if you have a child coming, Daddy, can I have a piece of bread? 
sure, here, chew on this. And you give him a rock, and he's cracking his teeth on a rock because he thought you gave him a piece of bread. Or, you know, can I have, you know, a pet, and you give him a scorpion? You know, something would be harmful. You know, how, how, you know, fathers are thinking, I would never do something so cruel to my child like that. And then Jesus' point is, how much more does your heavenly father, you know, you're evil, you're sinners, God is sinless, his love is perfect. How, how, how much more is your heavenly father going to give good gifts to those of his children that ask him? But you know, a good father also, because he loves his children, knows that his, parent, his children sometimes come and ask for something that in the fatherly wisdom he has says, no son, no sweetheart. And they go away pouting, mm, daddy doesn't love me. But the reason you said no was because you knew that what they asked for would harm them. It would not be good for them. You know, don't we know that God loves us enough and God is so wise that we in our immaturity spiritually and our ignorance, we may pray for something, we may ask for something, we may long for something, and God in his mercy withholds it. And what a blessing that is because we really don't know what is best for us. We need to remember that these are the desires of a leader who rejoices in God's salvation. It all goes back to verse 1. That's the context. So this is an individual who has a heart that is already being bent to the will of the Father in heaven. And I would suggest to you that on that basis, his heart's desire is going to want the things that his father would want for him he's not going to say you know great i've got a god that's like a genie in the bottle i can rub it and get three wishes whatever i want then i would suggest to you that he doesn't fit the pattern of verse one it all has to be taken in context so there are a few blessings in life so great as contentment you know i've often thought about that if it really worked that way if someone came to you and say you know, three wishes, what do you want? I think the first one I'd say is, give me contentment, and you can have the other two. Because, you know, no matter what you ask for, if you don't have contentment, you'll still be bitter after the third wish is asked and given, won't you? Because we're, we're discontent in our fleshly nature. The Bible tells us content, godliness with contentment is great gain, and so it is. The heart's desire of a laudable leader will aspire for those things that elevate the one true God. That's what he will want. He will get up and pray and say, Lord, you know, what can you do in my life that will help me elevate you as the true God, as the creator, as the loving God that sent your son? That's what would be true of that person's heart. This person's heart desire was... Not, was not going to be an egotistical legacy. Oh, I want something that happens so that people will remember all my great accomplishments. No. Lord, I don't care if they remember anything about me at all. But if they have a better idea of you, if they are drawn closer to you, may that be the case. We should pray for our leaders to learn how good it is to conform their heart's desires to God's goals. We should pray for whoever our next president is. 
whoever sits on the Supreme Court, whoever our legislators are going to be, God awakened in them that, that wisdom, that understanding, that if they follow Jesus Christ, their life will be joyous and their heart will have its desires met. Not because they got everything on their punch list, but because they had a contentment come into their life because Christ came into their life. I see also that God gives honor to the honorable in verse 3. When it says that God preventeth him blessings, the meaning is really that God projects, what might be an easier way for us to say that since we don't speak so much that way as, as they did back in the 1700s, but that's what he means here. God is projecting his blessings to such a leader. And this was the custom of the day. Give you an example. You may remember the story. Jacob had fled from his angry brother Esau. And with good reason, because Jacob had tricked his brother out of the birthright, out of the blessing. And so he'd gone to a faraway land, been gone for many years. He himself became a victim of trickery with Laban, his father-in-law. It's now time to go back home. But Jacob's thinking, Esau may still have a grudge, because I really did, a, did bad by him. So as Jacob is coming back, the Bible gives lengthy detail to the, the strategic planning of Jacob as he was sending ahead, projecting, preventing, it's the same Hebrew word as in our text here, the blessings, because Jacob had done quite well for himself financially, flocks and herds and so forth like that. So he was sending a lot of this up front and telling the servants, if you encounter Esau and they and Esau asked, what is all this? He says, this is a present from my Lord Jacob to, uh, from my Lord Esau to, his, to your servant Jacob. You know, a humility. He was sending the blessings ahead. Sending the blessings ahead. With that in mind, think about what's being said here. Thou preventest him with the blessings of goodness. God sends out ahead. And isn't that really true of all of us? We get blessings ahead of anything that we have deserving of in our life god projects those things to us the crown of pure gold also signifies honor that's mentioned here sometimes it's the same crown is referred to in other places in the old testament as the crown of glory for instance isaiah 28 5 the lord of hosts shall be for a crown of glory the lord doesn't just have a crown of glory, but to leaders and to those that follow him, the Lord is the crown of glory. He is where the honor is. What honor do we need, really, from other people? What kind of legacy do we need of, of people you know, showing up in droves and talking about how wonderful we are or what we've accomplished? If the Lord is with us, Folks, that's all the crown that we need in our lives. We need to ask for God to have leaders who, who govern, that have gone up, to the, pole, gone up in, in the polls and to have finally been disappointed in some way. Because, you know, no matter what kind of leader you are, there will be a poll that disappoints you, right? The population is fickle. The population is unreliable. 
The man who governs for self-glory is going to be disappointed. But the one who governs for the glory of God is wise. I'm here to promote him and to give him honor, not receive honor. So what do we need to do? I think we need to pray that the Lord will raise up leaders who care more for what God smiles upon than what the population will applaud. Because the population may be very against the kind of legislation that makes God smile from heaven. But we need courageous leaders that says, you know, I'm here to please the one who made us. The one who gives us life. The one who gives us breath. God, give us leaders with courage to follow your leading, regardless of public support. We need to pray that they remain faithful, even though they're despised. It's hard not to be liked. It's hard to be smeared in the media, even by those that you serve in office. But again, it's more important that they realize, I'm here primarily to serve God. I see also that God gives longevity to those who are wise stewards of their days. And that's what he's talking about in verse 4. Who doesn't want to live a little longer when they realize that life on earth is nearing the end? I was just over visiting one of our members and her sister-in-law is, is death's door. And it's hard. And yet, as we were talking in the front yard afterwards, I said, you know, we all know that life is terminal. We all know that. We, we all know that there's, our days are numbered. And whatever life we have, if, if we've been enjoying the life that God has given to us with the good people, friends, family, you know, who doesn't rightly want a little bit more time? And what family doesn't want a little bit more time with those people? We understand that. It's actually a good thing that we feel that way. But why do we want to extend our lives? That's the question. What is our motivation for more days? If it's just so we can check more things off our bucket list? Or is it because we have more that we aspire to do for the Master? Lord, there's so much more I want to do for you. In the last four or five months, I've been in communication with a a dear brother in the Lord who's, who's really struggling as he's, he's, he knows he's diminishing mentally. Lord's giving him a, uh, a wonderful ministry. And he's been a blessing to the folks here of our church. You'll know who I'm talking about. Patrick Hayes, he helped us with our, our veterans outreach. Because of his service for our country and things that he was subjected to during that time of warfare and service, he's facing some medical problems and his ability to rationalize and remember, he feels it. He, he sees it slipping away from him. And yet his, his emails and his text messages back and forth to me just breaks my heart. Because he's like, I, just, I want the Lord to raise someone up to take this or to give me more energy so that I can continue to reach out to veterans and their families so that they can know about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not wanting it just to consume it upon his lust. He wants it so he can serve Jesus. Wow, what if we had a whole congress of leaders like that? What if we had presidents, monarchs, world leaders like that? 
Remember the nobleman who went on a trip and he entrusted his investments into the hands of his servants? One was not a good steward and he lost his portion of responsibility when the master came back and did an assessment. And then the master then took what he had taken from him and he gave it to one of the other servants that had invested wisely. In Luke 19.26, Jesus said, For I say unto you that unto every one which hath shall be given. And from him that hath not, even that that he hath shall be taken away from him. And I think that that is a broad application, but perhaps it has even application to the extent of our lives. And is it not what is being talked about here in verse 4? When the king, who has a desire to give glory to the Lord, and is rejoicing in God's salvation, and is applauding God's assistance in his life, he's humble about this. He's asking life of God. And God is giving it to him, even length of days forever and ever. Why? Just so he can amass more money into his coffers, so he can live a legacy for his children. No, again, this is the spirit of a king who has God's best interest at heart. Why should God give prolonged life to such a leader if he squanders it foolishly? And doesn't do anything meaningful in light of eternity? And the answer is, no good reason. I like what it says in Psalm 91, 16. Those that know the name of the Lord and call upon Him, with long life, God says, I will satisfy Him and show Him my salvation. You, you want a good, fulfilling life? Well, we don't know what our appointed time is. But I'd say, let's make sure we're using it and investing the days that we have for God's sake. And then God gives that meaningful legacy to those who remain loyal to Him. The last part of verse 4. Now we already know that eternal life in heaven belongs to all that have been born again by the power of God because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice. That we understand. But this forever and ever probably refers to how a, a laudable leader's influence lives on beyond his physical demise. He's not looking so people will say great things about him. But I think that what is desired is that whatever influence he had for the sake of God and for Christ's sake, that that will live on. I'll give you an example. My shelves in my study at home are lined with books. And most of them are by authors who have long since passed away. But in paper and binding and in ink, their influence lives on. Though they are dead, yet they speaketh. I think of one well-known commentator, and, and many of you have, have probably accessed his, his writings, Matthew Henry. Well-known name, commentator. He died June 22, 1714. And though he's been dead for more than three centuries, his words remain as a powerful help to innumerable students and lay people of the Bible. If it weren't for his writings, nobody would know today who Matthew Henry is. But he gave his heart to Christ. 
He wanted to make God big in people's minds and lives. He wanted to give them appreciation and a love for the Word of God. And that still lives on today. So I think when it comes to kings, we need to pray for leaders that God will give us those leaders who will be farsighted in their aspirations, not just wanting some bridge named after them, not wanting some library named after them when they leave office. Physical monuments and bridges and libraries are not nearly as meaningful as the ability to continue to impact lives for Christ in future generations. And who says that someone can't be a politician and a disciple-maker for Jesus Christ? We are in the midst of an election within our country. It's difficult to say how many politicians right now are aspiring for public office that have the biblical mindset that we're talking about here. You might say, probably precious few. But I'll tell you, I have heard some that will say unapologetically about their love for the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's so refreshing. We need to continue to pray for their courage, not to be swayed by human sentiment, but to always be looking to the face of God for approval. Now, folks, we need to pray for, we, in faith, we need to believe that God can raise up people. But not just in our country, what about other countries? That God can work in other lands. So let us pray for God to raise up such individuals, not just so that governments will operate for the betterment of its citizens, but how about this as a more important motive, so that God who made us all will be magnified in their passions as well as their policies. May God help us to pray for our leaders. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Help us to take to heart and follow in practice what you teach to us in your word tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.